Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. What's better than a SPAC deal? How about two SPAC deals? I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I speak with Weijo CEO Richard Barlow. Weijo announced a business combination with TKB Critical Technologies One in January, about 15 months after it closed an earlier combination with Virtuoso Acquisition Corp. Richard walks us through how Weijo weathered challenging market conditions in 2022 and provides an update on its new business plan. TKB One co-CEO and CFO Angela Blatheis also joins to give a behind-the-scenes look at how her team reached into the 2010 playbook to make this deal structure possible. Could this deal start a trend among the hundreds of SPACs still searching? And what conditions need to be present for this to work? Take a listen. So Richard, the last time we talked, Weijo was in the process of closing its first SPAC combination with Virtuoso, and I really want to get into all of that SPAC stuff. But first, could you just give us a bit of an update on how things have progressed with the business since that first deal closed? Yeah, sure. So as, as we all know, we entered 2022 in the broader public markets, entering some really tough headwinds. The macroeconomic environment changed the access to capital. So we, um, and I think this is this is becoming more of a, more of a keyword in, in current sort of tech updates. We optimized the headcount at the time. We didn't go anywhere near the costs of or the R&D of scaling the business to the level that we first forecast, but we still showed strong revenue go- growth. So we still showed, we've not yet uh, issued our 10K yet, but we're showing 200 to 300% growth between 21 and 2022. And we're still showing that that growth trajectory into this year as well and, and beyond. So it was a it was really a question of we came out the SPAC process with a sort of a market rate of redemptions, not what we were planning for with in our original forecasting. And then we uh, we we focused the business on adding more vehicles on platform, but optimizing our costs, optimizing our margins, managing the headcount, but still doing some interesting innovations as well, which is which is now driving our twenty three growth. So it's been an interesting first fifteen months in the public markets. We've we've had some good support from some good from institutions, for good support from our strategics. We uh, ended up running what we call a plug capital strategy, where we mitigated some of the high redemptions by raising further capital from our strategic partners. So for example, Sompo invested both in the original pipe back in November 21, but then invested again in July 22. So great sort of sign of support from our strategics. And we've raised further capital from other sources as well. So an interesting first 15 months, but now the transaction with TKB that we announced a couple of weeks ago, we're now showing the market. We've now found a, a longer term source of capital. Uh, the markets have liked it. Our stock's up 98% in the last 30 days. We've had some good trading. And meanwhile, say we've we've also given guidance that our, we will continue to scale our revenues and control our costs. Yeah, and I wanted to touch upon that just a little bit, just because you know we follow all of these despacked companies, many of them operating out with emerging technology and things like that. And it's in some ways it was a bit of a, a bitter pill to swallow, just in, in the sense that we were kind of going through a process for, with a lot of these companies with a certain kind of market that was rewarding certain things, and then you end up with a market that's rewarding different things. And so I'm just interested in, in sort of how you manage that pivot a little bit in terms of looking at how much we're looking at growth versus how much we're looking at cost cutting and, and getting it closer to that profitability. What were some of the the things that you found that were really really helpful in that and how are you balancing those? Yeah, so we gave uh, in our first 10Q um, some KPIs we'd be focusing on a month quarterly basis, onboarding of vehicles on platform, the the vehicle billings or unit economics for each of those vehicles. And when it came to it, we um, one of the first things we did was we we focused on our cloud costs, our operating margin. And what became clear was is that to show a scaling business in the US, then we had critical mass of data in, in key parts of the countries. We didn't need to keep adding vehicles for the sake of adding vehicles. Adding vehicles long-term continues to build to a great data asset, helps us support opening new markets, but short term, it's a cash drain. So we focused on how we could 
sweat the assets we already had in platform. So we went from 13 million vehicles on platform to 20. Our original forecast is 27. Not to say we're short of vehicles to be onboarded, but it adds additional cloud processing costs, adds additional people costs. So we've been very much focused on still having scalar revenues, but but improving our margins. And we'll keep doing that. You know, that's going to be a theme for the next years and beyond is how we get this business to cash flow positive, to be on break even with and, and improving margins over time. So that, that was a fundamental change to our original model, where our original model was keep on onboarding vehicles, keep going to new territories as aggressively as possible. Whereas the land grab approach, where it's, it's 18 months from adding vehicles to, to seeing a positive sort of generation from the, adding these vehicles, we slowed that approach, but still showing that we, we've got a strong sales pipeline. We've continued to show our total contract values of, of scaled every quarter. We're now winning some big government multi-million dollar contracts as well, showing the value of our data, showing that we're trusted in society, trusted by the public sector, and added some really interesting commercial contracts as well. So looking at your technology itself, how many data points are you collecting and exactly how are you sourcing it? So we're we're adding about half a million data points a second. We're at about 18 billion a day. We've added 21 trillion to date. We're about 770 million miles. So we've we've pretty much about 70% up on where we were a year ago. And those data points are sourced from multiple motor manufacturers. We call them OEMs. We've got 28 active OEM tier one and fleet agreements. So the public companies we talk about are General Motors, who are also an investor, but also Ford, Toyota are some of the OEMs, most manufacturers we refer to. Ford, we have, we probably talked recently about our US marketplace agreement and our European marketplace agreement. So multiple motor manufacturers. Great. And how do your customers differ between those seeking out your marketplace data solutions versus your software and cloud tools? So our software and cloud tools are predominantly focused back with motor manufacturers. So what we found is, you know, so we launched a privacy module with a motor manufacturer last year. They employ tens of thousands of people in R&D. And they wanted a compliant, safe approach to have access to millions of vehicles on platform, but have assurance that there, there wasn't going to be any sort of a consent, compliance, regulatory challenges of all that data being being presented back into the business. So we provide that stack that protects the OEM from having visibility of, of personal information where, you know, there's the Dobbs Act, there's the CCPA, there's rights to repair. As GDPR in Europe, there's various sort of acts or regulations that can expose the OEM if they inadvertently share PII data. We've provided that module to protect them from that. Got it. And so looking at the investor presentations from each of your two deals side by side, you've pulled back your future projections quite a bit. What are some of the things causing you to be more conservative there? Is it the rate of connected vehicles getting out there, the rate of customer adoption, or perhaps something else? No, so in terms of customer adoption, we're showing that we've reduced our time from identifying a prospect going on platform from 20 months, 18 months ago, to now it's about six months. So customer adoption has not been a challenge for us. We've got a strong sales pipeline. We're showing we're signing contracts. But one of our big challenges being onboarding a vehicle to seeing, to seeing positive margin has, is still about an 18 months. So one of the things we focused on the business is, is getting to cash flow positivity as quickly as possible with less capital. By nature, we focus on having less people and focus on our data acquisition costs and focus on our cloud costs. So focusing on those things will delay some of our revenue scale, but it means that we use fundamentally less capital than we first forecast to do. So it gets us to cash flow positivity much quicker. It'll delay versus the original plan, our fundamental scale, but only by a couple of years. So if you're long, then we still deliver on our long-term prospects, but we're using fundamentally a lot less money than we first forecast we'd need while still generating a highly profitable business in the medium term. 
Great, and I definitely want to get Angela in here on this too. And and just going to this deal with with TKB, I'm interested in the perspective of both of you in terms of how the the idea for for such a transaction first came up, and that it is unique in a lot of ways. And so for Angela, how did Weijo first kind of come on your radar and, and this style of a of a transaction? And similarly, you know, what were you seeing out there, Richard, in terms of what your your financing options were, and and how the kind of the notion of a second SPAC deal kind of started to make sense. For us, right after we launched is pretty close to when Weijo had launched Virtuoso. And we were seeing a fundamental shift in the market where redemptions were going from close to 0% to, at that point, 75% and you know presently at 99%. And I had spent close to 20 years in private equity, 40 years all in with investment banking, and knew a lot of people in private equity that might have deals that they would work with us on to take public. And when the market changed, a lot of companies that would have been attractive for the public markets were just not interested at this time. So if you didn't need to go public and this was happening in the market, it didn't make sense to do so. And so we started putting our thinking caps on. We have some really good anchors and institutional investors. One of them pointed out that a SPAC actually could do a deal with a public company, which we hadn't known. And so we started doing searches and worked with our underwriters and other investment banks to do searches. We looked at over 150 companies. And when we learned of Weijo, it really fit our mold. So our mission was to restore American technology leadership one investment at a time. And so the mission of autonomous vehicles and of using all this data and creating a value-added solution that could be usable for safety was clearly a critical technology. So it met that. We wanted to make sure that we found a company that had a strong management team and a strong board and was meant to be public ready. And they met that as well. And as we leaned in, we wanted to make sure that we weren't going to catch a falling knife. We saw what the capital problems were. It became crystal clear that they had expected over 350 million in closing funds and only got 100 and change. So very hard to cut your operating expenses that quickly when you find out it has to be done prudently so you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And we saw them making really good strides. The more we learned about the technology and spoke to more members on their management team that were involved in their company and their head of technology, the more excited that we got because we really feel the deal was at uh, an inflection point. And all they really needed was capital. We actually think it's worth much more than it was when it came out a year ago at 800 million, because then it was on track for 3 million. Now for 2023, the guidance that's provided in our merger agreement is 20 to 30 million of revenue and 75 for the following year. And that's while they're basically having their operating expenses from where it was in 2022. So for us, we're really excited, love their five-year contracts. Yeah, and there's there's just so much that's unique about this deal. I mean, I think what you know grabs I think a lot of people's attention on the surface level obviously is you know a, a second SPAC deal for the same company. But you know the way that you structured this with the protective premium that it offers shareholders, for instance, and, and it's tied. That's a similar structure that was used in the past with BPW and Talbots. I, I'm interested in just sort of where did some of the ideas for this come from? How did you come to the structure and, and work sure. out some of those details? Well, I'm going to credit one of our institutional investors, Ted Chen at Carnegie Park. He's been fantastic. 
He knew about the structure. He had directed us to White and Case. Those attorneys were previously at Winston. And then he was at a conference and met Wee Joe. And he said, I think I found the company. So he was part of the concept of it and knew that it was a way to turn things around and to stop 99% redemptions. Offer your IPO holders in the public market something superior to what they get if they redeem. If you do that, they're going to be less inclined to redeem and they'll want to play. In this case, we offer just shy of a 10% yield in newly issued WeJo shares. And we did it with a collar of a low of 50 cents in the share price and a high of $3. And each USCT shareholder will get anywhere from on the low end, 22.5 shares for each USCT share. And on the high end of the stock price at $3, then they'd get 3.75 shares. So the hope is, is that people that were standing on the sidelines wanting to buy Wejo because they saw the fundamental value, but were scared because they knew they needed capital are going to jump in and really support the stock, which is why I think after the transaction was announced, the stock almost doubled. So we're, we're expecting that once there's a corporate announcement or we bring in some pipe money and we make some announcements, their stock is going to soar. And that would be really exciting, even though it means our shareholders get less shares per share. We're interested in the overall long-term success of WeJo, and we think that's the best solution. Let's get their share price up. We'll have a little less dilution. It's still incredibly opportunistic. And so we think it's a win-win transaction for both sides. Yeah, I was going to say it was, it was interesting. So um, we ran this plug capital strategy last year, but we but we knew raising short term capital just you carry an overhang on your share price, and we knew we needed a longer term strategy. And I'd done some research, and and my simple hypothesis was is that there's 600 SPACs out there that have got capital sat with them. They can't possibly all be going through a 99% redemption. How do we how do we identify a SPAC that can come up with a model? where the redemptions will be mitigated to, to some extent. And we'd done some research with our advisors. We understood what a structure might look like, but then it's finding the right SPAC. And then serendipity kicked in. As, as Angela said, I met Ted at a, at a conference. Ted mentioned to me his idea and I knew what he was talking about. <laughs> and, that, and that was... And that was a, and that, and that was the moment where we, where we both realized we'd both been looking for each other in, in some sort of structure where, and and so we met each other, I think last August, Angela, we've now met face to face. So in this new world of Zoom, yeah. where, where you can be anywhere, we've, <laughs> we've been together in LA, we've, I've met, I've met with Greg, met Philippe, so I met the whole management team at TKB. And we realized that we we were both aligned with, with the same objective, with, which was to come up with something which, which would work for both WeJo shareholders and, and USCT shareholders, TKB shareholders. So it was uh, one of those serendipitous moments, but we, we'd already worked through what it what the structure looked like and it was finding the right spec would actually enable this this transaction to complete and so far the market has liked what what we're doing as angela says we expect to make corporate announcements on the way as, as we build a solid pipe and we look to complete at some point in q2 carnegie park is an investor in a number of spacs that's their business and they chose us because many sponsors are just looking to do a transaction you know with philippe's ceo experience and greg's been an operator and my m a structuring private equity we were looking for a transaction where we could really add value that really made sense for the market we're in it for the long term it's not just a quick transaction and on to the next one and so i think ted recognized that we were pretty hard working and we would really lean in and do due diligence and this is one that really 
required that level of due diligence because it's easy for somebody to look, look at it on the surface and just say, this is too risky for us. And when you start to peel back the layers, we just got more and more excited. Yeah, I wanted to ask both of you a kind of a question as well, just sort of looking forward with this in, in terms of, you know, this new model. And, and Richard, you mentioned the still the very large number of SPACs that are still out there. I mean, I guess as you're looking at this as a, as a company that's out there, is this something that you would consider doing again? Because I mean, been the, the target of this conversation, I suppose, out in the kind of the financial media and that, you know, people will point out certain costs associated with SPAC deals in isolation to other types of financing and what are the costs of the alternative? But with still a lot of vehicles out there, is that something that you think uh, companies should be considering as well? And you might consider again down the road. And similarly with Angela, I'm just interested if you've had other SPACs ringing you up trying to follow the trend. I think a lot of people are seeing what we're doing. I don't think they should underestimate the complexities of what we've implemented. This is <laughs> this is not for the faint-hearted. When I did the first back, I think I did about 220 Zoom calls. We're doing the same level of, of investor education. This is not easy capital. This is, and you know, our redemptions are comparatively low for the market because the, the investors buy into TKB's management and buy into the Weijo story. This is not easy money for a company who probably shouldn't have spacked first time around. We're long public holders. We're, we're lucky that we've demonstrated a profile Weijo shareholder who's, who's long. We've got great retail support and that's meant our stocks relatively liquid. It's not right for everyone. I agree with that. I, I would add, I do think that we're going to start a trend. I do think that more companies um, are going to look at this as an option. And after we cleared the SEC and we, you know, I think everybody was really stunned that we were able to retain the shares that we wanted to retain. In fact, you know, almost 15% more. I think that a lot of companies will look at it. And while we were looking at Wejo and talking about it, there are three other companies that approached me and were learning about what we were doing. And I'm just like, this can't work for you. This can't work for you. This can't work for you. Here's why. So I think to, to Richard's point is you sort of, you have to have the stars aligned, but it is a very interesting option. And I think you're going to see more of them. Right. And so we talk a lot on this podcast about the advantages of going public through SPAC deals, but obviously being a public company is a double-edged sword at times. So what were some of the things that were maybe unexpectedly easier and perhaps harder now in your time being public? I was going to say, I think in 22, 2022 was, was, was not the year to say that certain things were easy. I've seen a number of CEOs of SPACs who, who've thrown the towel in. I've always been a long investor in Wejo, will continue to be a long investor in Wejo as a public company as well. 22 was, was not the year to say this. that was a stellar year where things were easy. I mean, even going through US Gap and having the auditors going through, it's such a change. You know, having, the, having your 10Ks, your 10Qs. So I'm not going to say anything was easy. The idea of going to public markets was having, having access to easy capital. That was over in 2022. You had to be creative. I enjoyed that process. I didn't feel, like, I feel it was difficult, but I'm not going to say it was it was easy for uh, for for a lot of people out there. And, and we're we're seeing that it's been a tough market. It's a tough market for everyone. I don't. What's that saying? What what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, I think it's been a great ride. I think you build on that experience, and uh, and we've built a very solid business, a solid management team, and we've shown that even cutting costs, we can still scale the business. So some businesses shouldn't go into public markets in the first place. We've proven we can still thrive in the public markets, and I think after this long term capital secured with the TKB, we'll then show some markets why we should have always been here. Definitely. And Wejo has been steadily increasing its total contract value. But what are some of the things you're working on to increase the value generated from each individual contract? 
Yes, upsell is a big thing for us now. So we're showing now that once we get embedded with a government agency or with a significant corporate, that as we generate more data insights from this raw data, that we can charge more and more and more. And that's massively accretive in terms of margin. So for us, we're, we're going to be looking at lots more long-term contracts with much higher values. That's, that's very much our focus now. Much easier to upsell an existing client than win a new client. We're doing both, but very much focused now. We have, we have a separate customer experience team who just focus on, on this upsell to, to sell more high value, valuable insights to, to, our, to our broader way of clients. When we took a look at their backlog, we could get very comfortable with their forecast for 23. And then when we looked at the pipeline and, you know, you just saw multiple negotiations going on in different areas of the same company. So just a lot of use cases for them. And that was very encouraging to see. And can you walk us through how the proceeds from this deal will be used? Yes. Yeah, so we've always got an eye on innovation and innovation drives our upsell. So we will continue to have controlled investment in broadening our products. We've got an incredible relationship with Palantir, who've been supportive in helping us strengthen our product portfolio while still having one eye on costs. We'll continue to invest in sales and marketing, not for brand, for funnel. Sorry, my son's just come in. Henry, I'm on the call. Remember? I'll be back in a minute, okay? How much? 10 minutes. I said to him, don't come until half seven UK time. He was <laughs> waiting at the door. Uh, <laughs> you can now read his watch. Uh, <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. Okay. Uh, yeah, so so we're always going to have one eye on innovation to dr to drive up sell, but uh, but we're going to be very much managing our costs. Where you know we're not looking to suddenly increase the headcount, for example, this year our headcount is going to be relatively flat all year. But the flip side is we're also leveraging our strategic partners such as Palantir, who've been really supportive in giving us that more mature product outlook and deeper product portfolio. This all helps our total contract value. So in terms of how the capital will be used, it'll be used for revenue scale, improving margins. Not headcount for the sake of headcount, not for adding vehicles, sake of adding vehicles, but actually to drive us through to cash flow generation and positivity within a less than a couple of years. Great. And I mean, as you were just saying there, you're not looking to necessarily throw on 50 million more vehicles necessarily, but you have kind of a unique perspective on some of the other headwinds we've been seeing probably on you, but also on plenty of other companies are supply chain issues and the semiconductor shortage and how that was affecting car supply and, and new cars making it to market. Just uh, what have you been able to see and how much is that uh, any of those wins affecting you at all? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, we, you know, we see some interesting insights from our data. So we see, for example, what's known as migration. And even today, I saw something in the Financial Times about how short haul is dwindling in the US. We see from vehicles that people are doing a lot more long distance driving. They're not stopping at their local airport, which is a proxy to a, to a short haul. We're seeing things like that. We're seeing vehicles where they are going to a gray body shop rather than approved, approved body shop. That's an indication of potentially having access to less cash, which again could be a, an indication of some of some of the other headwinds you've referred to. So uh, we're seeing vehicles where the driver is, is going to a local dealership to look at a, a potentially a, diff, a different make model to the vehicle they're driving now, but then the car is going to an auction lot. Now these are all trends rather than personal, but things like that give you a really interesting view about what what is going on out there. In terms of the supply chain, we're seeing vehicle duration by the same driver longer than the expected term. And also predominantly vehicles are, are leased or financed, so there's a fixed term of two years or three years. We're seeing different durations. So things like that are, are really interesting trends for us to, which we share in industry. And you briefly touched upon use cases earlier, but have you had any use cases for your data that surprised you? And what do you think is the most exciting new thing that people are doing with WeJo tools? 
I think the most exciting for me is, and I'm not going to say this is the, the highest revenue one, but I think it's the most exciting is that we were helping one of the world's largest logistics companies to um, to, to deliver parcels quicker. And then a government agency pointed out that an equivalent use case could be to help help emergency responders get to an accident quicker or get to uh, get to um, you know the scene of a crime quicker. And that's actually really interesting that you think about if you've got live data, you know, and we have 35 times more data than Waze, for example, you know, we have a more accurate view than most mapping products out there because we see live data on, on every road, every street in the US. So to be able to help people, frankly, save lives, that's exciting. Being able to help departments of transport with a view of every street and to help them work through about well, if if it's a fender bender on a highway, it doesn't need it doesn't need emergency service. It needs it needs a recovery truck to then help traffic flows quicker. That's exciting to me in a, in a very in a geeky way. Those are some of the the, the short term upsells that we're already seeing. Some of the and some of the immediate demand we're getting from government agencies. And so, Angela, as you were looking through the different options and opportunities out there yourself, you had a, a bit of a unique perspective on Weijo, just given that it had was already public at that point. And once you, I'm sure, got a closer look, you're able to see a lot more in terms of what it was going into in terms of its contract structures and things like that that were changing right as you were looking. Just what were some of the things that jumped out of you about where Weijo was when that conversation started? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question. You know, we did a, a fair amount of due diligence. And as we started to look at the backlog and the pipeline, one of the things we noticed that they were moving away from raw data sales to value-added solution sales, which meant instead of having a 30% contribution margin for a product, you have well over 60% contribution margin. So that's pretty exciting. And we noted that breaking into the first automotive company or the first insurance company takes a lot of time. I think uh, Richard referred to about 20 months. But once you're in, once you've got one Department of Transportation contract in one state, it's a lot easier to get the others in very quickly. And it's easier for the company and the sales team to be able to customize and tailor because there's not that much difference in terms of what they're each looking for. So we're really excited about the margins, the product mix, where they are in their sales cycle. They're gonna be really generating a lot more revenues a lot more quickly with their existing customers and new customers. The real irony is a year ago or 15 months ago, this company came out with an $800 million enterprise value with 145 million of operating expenses and less than 3 million in revenue. Fast forward 15 months, the company's looking at 20 to 30 million in revenue for the present year with less than half the operating costs that it had before. And it's now trading at like a tenth of the value. So we see it really as a huge opportunity and a very, very exciting time to be a WeJo shareholder.